0: Welcome back to another episode of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and we have a bit of an unusual episode of the show on tap for you today. Part of the reason for that is that I'm actually on vacation as I'm recording this, and getting together with a bunch of coworkers on a Google Hangout to record a podcast absolutely does not count as being on vacation, but as the saying goes, the show must still go on. And I thought I'd take this time to share with you an ultra nerdy conversation I had with Jason Gabriel of Torre Composites about carbon fiber. Now if you've been riding bikes for even just a handful of years, chances are pretty decent that you have at least some experience with carbon fiber, whether in frames, wheels, or some other components. Chances are also good that Torre not only supplied the actual fibers used in those bits, but also helped those brands figure out how to make those parts as well. Now. We all know that carbon fiber is light and stiff and also that it can be very, very expensive. But how much thought have you actually devoted to what carbon fiber really is and how all those carbon fiber things came to be? Is all carbon fiber created equal? How are the fibers even held together? And how are those frames and parts actually manufactured? What do you do with this stuff when you're done with it or if it breaks? What exactly makes carbon fiber so good anyway and how much better can it get? In this chat with Jason, I go super deep on the technology of carbon fiber, and I dare say you might never think of the stuff in quite the same way ever again. So let's hear it from Jason. Jason, first, before we dive into things too deep, I just want to give people a little bit of a background as to... I guess why I've contacted you specifically for this, and, and why you're qualified to talk about this sort of thing. I mean, so what exactly would you say you do here? Okay, no, it's a fair question.
1: Um, I'll start with my background. So I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer out of Penn State, and basically um, I've worked in machine design, and then I did I moved from a, a company that uh, basically made rubber seals to one that made carbon fiber surgical tools. And I was just very fascinated by that because I'm, I have a real passion for cycling. So I, I had my first mountain bike when I was 13 back in the 80s, and I've always kind of really liked the industry. So I got into, into carbon fiber, frankly, because I had this engineering background and because I liked bikes and carbon fiber were, was involved in bikes. So from about 2000 to 2010, roughly, I was doing a lot of processing of carbon fiber at a manufacturing company. Um, mainly thermoplastic carbon fiber, which we're going to talk about. And then uh, from about 2010 to 2020, I've been with Tour A and I'm an account manager there now. So I, I basically interact with companies that either specify um, carbon fiber and glass fiber and Kevlar fiber composites. And I do have some discussions with um, the bike brands as well at times, especially when they're looking for newer materials and leading-edge materials, which they all like to do
0: so i guess to i guess maybe to 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 clarify or maybe add a little bit more detail to that so you know you are you are not someone who is at a bike company per se so you are not the one who's you know designing the frames really but you are the guy that a lot of these companies come to when they need help designing their frames is that correct i would
1: turn it more that when they have questions about carbon fiber materials and composite materials I'm one of the local contacts in the United States and Canada mainly that has some background in both bikes and materials. So a lot of times we can just talk about either fibers or, you know, different um, composite materials basically. I, I don't, you know, and, and this is an apology to anyone who's, you know, in these other roles. I don't develop the materials and I'm not, you know, in a factory making bikes every day, but. I have a lot of background in the factories that make the actual materials that people turn into bikes or into
0: satellites or into airplane wings, things of that nature. Gotcha. Well, more importantly, you have the answers to the questions I want to ask you today. So I might. <laughs> we'll see. I <laughs> well, might. All right. We'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, let's just get started then. Um, <laughs> yep. I, I want to kind of get a pretty broad view of things for, for uh, at first because for as long as carbon fiber has been a, a material used in bicycle frames and components and whatnot, there is still an awful lot of mystery and sort of just uh, kind of like mystique and intrigue, I guess, sort of on the consumer side, as far as what this stuff really is and how it's made and how it's processed and you know kind of why it's expensive, so on and so forth. So I wanted to start with really, really basic stuff. I mean, you know, you always hear people kind of almost kind of jokingly and, uh, you know, speaking in a derogatory fashion about how carbon fiber frames are plastic, right? And, right. you know, they, they mean that in sort of a mocking term. But the reality is, I mean, the engineering term for this is carbon fiber reinforced plastic or you know, CFRP. So um, from an engineering standpoint, I mean, wh- what exactly is carbon fiber in the way that most people understand it? Yeah, I
1: guess I'm going to I'm going to take a step back even further. And if we have, you know, if we want to get into the details more, you know, we can, but the the first thing is, you know, this is when people say carbon in the bike industry, I think generally what they mean is they're talking about something called a composite. And a composite is when you mix two materials that have different properties and you unite them into one to get a material that has a different property than the first or the second material. So, and it's usually something that's separatable. So, for me, one of the easiest things people relate to is if you put steel into concrete, the steel is really strong, you know, and the concrete is really good at wear and maybe compressive strength, things like that. So, when you put them together, you've got a composite of steel and concrete that. A steel road wouldn't work very well, or a part of a steel bridge, and a completely concrete bridge without any steel and it wouldn't be strong enough. So, when people are saying carving, what they're really referring to is a reinforcing fiber that's inside of a, a polymer reinforcement that's in your bike frame. And so, you know, the, the first thing is if we look at metals, and by the way, I'm gonna take another step back. These are, you know, these are all materials. For different applications, there is no better or worse material. There's just better materials that perform, you know, better in certain applications. So there's kind of like different materials.
0: Got it. Oh, well. Well, so, don't don't get too deep into that because we're we're, we're
1: going to get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Okay. So simply put, I guess to answer your question is, um, carbon fiber composites is a mixture of fibers that are very thin and they're continuous. They almost look like. Um, kind of like a non-sticky spider web in a filament form, or almost like a like you know a single strand of hair. It's a combination of that mixed with some sort of a plastic or glue to hold it together. Okay, that's kind of um, what we're talking about.
0: Would you? I mean, would would you characterize a Rice Krispie treat as a composite? <sighs> I oh, it's easier. Oh boy, it's, <laughs> I didn't expect
1: that <laughs> question. You know, like. It, I'm going to go, I wouldn't characterize Gatorade where you mix powder and water as a composite because you can't separate, you know, the powder from the water. Sure. It's like, if you can pull the reinforcing part out, um, then, you know, even under a microscope, we're talking, and generally it's called a composite, you know, and it doesn't have to be a continuous fiber. You you can grind up carbon fiber and dump it in plastic. And you, basically that's a composite. You've got fiber that's in a resin, you know, that sort of. Thing.
0: Right. Well, so uh, you didn't answer my question, by the way, but I'll let you get away with it. So, um, I'll contact Kellogg's. <laughs> right. right. But but as far as, you know, how, again, how how most of us understand carbon fiber as that generic term to be, and let's just apply it to bicycle frames, for example. Okay. Um, so we're talking about thin filaments of carbon fiber in this polymer matrix. So what does each part of that do? Like what do the fibers do and what do the matrix materials do?
1: okay so i think it's best if we focus on the fibers first and what's interesting about fibers and by the way this isn't just carbon it's a lot of uh, different fibers as well is that if you take a a bulk material like you know um like the graphite that's in a pencil or you know other basic carbon materials and if you align their and again, mechanical engineer, not chemist here, but if you line, you know, them up into a very small fiber, a lot of defects go away, and the molecules kind of line up. That's my kind of layman, Fisher Price term that you know I like to think of. <laughs> and when you do that, generally, it makes the fiber stronger than the bulk material would be. So that's the reason why they're using carbon fiber. So. An example I could give you as to how strong we're talking is if I could take our best like Torre's strongest carbon fiber and it's really small. It, it, like I said, it's about twice it's about twice the diameter of like a spider web, a half the diameter of human hair. If I could make that into a one inch by one inch square rod or twenty-five millimeter by twenty-five millimeter square rod, it would take about a million pounds of force to break that rod now it's it's so it's really strong stuff and to give you an idea you know um you know i I was thinking about this uh, with another recent conversation like how many cars that would be and that would be like taking like 200 tesla model x's and hanging it from this one rod before the rod broke but the the problem is that you know this is a tiny, tiny filament, right? It's not a one inch by one inch diameter rod. So, you know, the, the the next step can be, well, can you just, can you group all those filaments together and make it like into a rope? You know what I mean? And yes, you can do that. You can kind of bundle them and you could, you could stick all of those filaments down in your one inch by one inch, you know, square area. But the problem is, you know, those filaments are circles. And so you're not going to have... Um, coverage. You're going to cover about 60% of the area because you're putting a bunch of like you know logs together, you know strands of spaghetti together in the spaghetti box, right? Uncooked spaghetti. So now you've lost you know your a lot of your material, and so you're going to lose a lot of your strength. You're roughly going to cut it in half. So that's the first reason you know that they look at fiber and how strong it is and how strong we're talking. But still, we're talking about a bundle of like, you know, strands. They, they, they don't have any rigidity to them or something. So if you've got your one inch by one inch box with all of your fiber running down into it, everything's linear, and you pour in a bunch of glue or resin and you glue it together, and then you pop it out of your box, now you've got a rigid rod where the glue is kind of holding everything together. And the job of the glue, also called the matrix in the composites world, like just like the movie job of the matrix it's kind of to transfer the load from the surface of one fiber to the surface of the next fiber and all of those thousands and thousands of fibers that are in that you know little 25 millimeter square rod they're all feeling the load of those you know 100 teslas that are now hanging off
0: of it right so the matrix is what lets all those fibers work together in in theory in unison then Correct. Correct. And that's the
1: goal. You know, the goal is to get as much carbon fiber as you can and keep them all straight, all linear and have really good adhesion between the matrix and the fiber. And you can get some really high mechanical properties. Like, you know, in, in comparison, I, I don't work in steel that often, but like some of the highest strength steels I've seen are about um, three, they would take about 300,000 pounds at most, and probably less than that to break that rod and aluminum i think you're around 75,000 pounds and you know this in its best material is at 500,000 it's a big it's a big deal um and the the second part of that is that those other materials i mentioned they have a much higher density so you know not only is the carbon stronger in that one direction it's actually a lot lighter than those other two materials by a lot you know
0: in that one inch rod
1: comparison
0: Right. So, uh, and so there are a lot of engineering reasons why carbon fiber has really become the premier material. I mean, it's not just in terms of, of strength. I mean, I guess, you know, um, one of the things that we always talk about with composite materials versus, uh, versus metals is, you know, isotropic versus anisotropic materials. And um, right. you know, these fibers all have orientations and directions. And like you said, they're, it, it's sort of like a, you know, they're, they're fibers in tension. And then it depends a lot how you orient those fibers as far as what sort of properties you get, right? 100%. And that's
1: a real positive and it's a real negative, uh, you know, to be very, you know, very direct. Like in my example, let's take that rod and let's shrink it up so now that it's a one inch by one inch cube, right? And so you're you're looking at this cube and all the fibers are running from the top of the cube down to the bottom of the cube. And that's the part that's super strong, holding up all the Teslas, right? Well, the way that we generally make materials, and we can get to this, is they basically come in a sheet form. So that cube is kind of made up like a small deck of square cards. And all the fibers are running you know, top to bottom in each, in each layer of those playing cards that make up your cube. And if you pull on the cube left to right, it doesn't have nearly the strength that it does when it goes top to bottom. So what you can do is you can take half the cards and you can rotate them 90 degrees. And now some of the cards have fibers running left and right. And some of the cards have the fibers running top and bottom. But what you've done is you've cut your mechanical properties, you know, in half, roughly, you know, in the top right direction, but you've increased them substantially in the left, right direction. So the, you know, the negative is that when you have that as a block of metal, generally speaking, metal has the same properties in all three directions. That can be, you know, that can certainly be a good thing if you need a part that has the exact same properties in all three directions. And some applications absolutely need that. But if you have parts where really the loads are a little bit more directional, you have the ability to tailor where you're putting the carbon. And if I had to simplify this whole thing, I would say, you know, the whole goal of all of this is put the fiber where it's needed. Now, there's a lot of other variables that go into it. You know, how how much resin there is, you know, and, and how you, how you cook the resin and, and is there wrinkles in the, you know, and all this other stuff. But generally the engineer is trying to say, okay, I've got loading running straight down this tube. I need to put the most of my fibers running straight down this tube, or I'm making a pressure tank that could explode. So I want to wrap all the fibers in a circle around the outside of the tank
0: to give it the most strength. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, I feel like that aspect of things is maybe, I guess you know where the direction of the fibers, as far as like you know, the ply sizes and the ply directions and that sort of thing. That that seems like something that usually is kind of falls more in the lap of the frame designer, right? Yeah, I would say so, absolutely. Okay. Yep. but as far as the fibers themselves go, I mean, I guess talking about the fiber and the matrix materials here. I guess i want to start with the fibers first. Okay, um, you know, you hear a lot of marketing claims about like you know, oh. Ultra high modulus, high modulus, blah blah blah. Like, what does any of that mean? And you know, from your perspective, from from a Torre perspective, not from you know, not from marketing speak. Um, so, what does that mean? And how does that affect a, a bicycle structure?
1: Okay, sure. So, first of all, modulus, in my my simple term, it's just another word for stiffness. Um, so, I, I think whenever you see the word modulus, just kind of think stiffness. And now let's let's talk about stiffness um there there's basically two traits that come up a lot in the composite and carbon fiber industry There's strength and their stiffness and and we've covered strength basically strength is you know how much load can you put on this part until it eventually breaks or fails um stiffness is you know in my one inch rod example you know where you're pulling on it and hanging the tessels from it like with a certain amount of load how much does it stretch versus the load, and The measurement of that basically translates into the higher the stiffness, the more rigid the ride is going to be. You know, when it's on your bike, you hear all the time about efficient, super stiff. You know, they do deflection tests on bottom brackets, you know, in different reviews and whatnot. And that's all stiffness related.
0: So, for for engineering types out there, then, you know, basically what we're talking about is the the slope of a stress grain curve, then. Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, so those two traits are really big when we talk about fibers, because you know, in some applications, you need a lot of stiffness and you're not worried about strength. in other applications, you need strength, not about stiffness. So what you can do is you can make a, a simple graph where you can put stiffness on the bottom and you can put strength on the top. And there's kind of like like a an arc that is on that graph. And what happens is, there's, there's categories of the carbon that are defined by modulus. So if you look left to right on the stiffness graph, and it's not so much by strength, it's generally by modulus. The industry just generally does that. And what happens is if you start on the, on the lowest strength material and the lowest stiffness, that's common carbon fiber, and it's still very high performance, it's fine. But if you need a little bit more than that, that's called standard modulus, and you can make it stiffer you can go to stiffer carbon fiber and as the stiffness goes up it goes from a category of standard to a category of intermediate and the bonus that you generally get when you move to intermediate modulus fiber is that it actually gets stronger and it can be much stronger in some cases but it's a separate category of fiber and that's not just for a you know that's, that's other carbon fiber manufacturers as well and if you go even higher than the intermediate modulus category and there you know there's there's rough boundaries for these you go to high modulus or ultra high modulus and the materials get even stiffer you know high stiffness ultra high stiffness but the negative is strength starts to drop so you know you can use really really stiff carbon fiber in a bike frame to replace your standard modulus carbon fiber but the problem is the strength may not be there, depending on which one you're looking at. Um, and if you move to intermediate modulus carbon fiber to get, you know, a very high strength out of it and make it really strong, you, maybe you're going to get a little more stiffness. And maybe in a bike, that means you know you're going to get a harsher ride or it's not going to deflect as much if you keep the same fiber orientation
0: in it. Okay. Now, so, as far as how these fibers are termed. Um, So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, within Torre, there is, and, and seemingly other carbon fiber manufacturers, I mean, there are accepted industry practices for how these things are described. You said, you know, standard, intermediate, high, so on and so forth. Do those terms, do you find that those terms generally are accurately reflected in how frames are described in the bicycle industry, though?
1: that's hard to say because I mean to be honest you know I'm not at the factory looking at their layups you know to, to tell you but what I can say is you know and we can get into fabrication a little bit generally um, but one of the benefits of composites is let's say you're in an area where you want really high strength or really high stiffness you can put a little bit of intermediate or high modulus material just in that area so you could label something as having, high modulus material in it which it does but that doesn't necessarily mean that the entire frame is made out of that material but it also doesn't mean that you're better off if the whole frame is made out of that material it may rattle your teeth it may ride
0: harshly right you know, i that sort of thing kind of like back in the day of steel frames when someone would say like oh this is a columbus slx frame when really it's just a single tube of columbus slx or something
1: yeah yeah and you know I think it would be very expensive and very unusual to use, a, a, you know, high modulus material all over a frame. I, I just, I my gut feeling and my experience has been that, you know, generally that's not done, uh, because there are parts that you want to be a little less stiffness, and there are parts that aren't highly loaded, and you know, don't require uh, really high modulus or high strength materials like uh, intermediate modulus materials generally offer.
0: Well, that's actually a, a perfect lead to another thing I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, frames, I feel like almost by necessity because carbon fiber frames are ultimately so complex in you know, the, the design that goes into them, the pieces, I mean all the underlying things that you can't see. And in any given frame, by my understanding, there is a, quite a mix of different fibers that go into there. I mean, by from your experience, you know, what would you say would be a typical number of different fiber types that would go into any sort of, you know, fairly high end frame? Oh boy. And, you know, and again, as,
1: as a supplier, when you go to, to customers, they don't always, you know, open up and show you exactly everything's in their frame. They they don't want to tell competitors and whatnot, but I've seen not only like, you know, certainly three or four different types of fiber I've certainly seen in frame. And then on top of that, sometimes it's fabric sometimes it's um different uh i'll call it there's a term called fiber aerial weight which means how thick the material is going in there's different thicknesses of material that goes in because some of it drapes a little better and some of it doesn't and it's you know the 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 thing that i'm really excited about is that's a really good thing i mean you know you mentioned like a columbus steel frame you know Even if you used four different tubes in that, here you could use 400 different pieces that, you know, have eight different materials in it that are in all different shapes. You know, you can really get a lot of performance out of this material shape-wise and having as much as a resource, you know, to put in and really tailor the mechanical performance. And that's completely ignoring the idea of just you can orient the fibers different to get a completely
0: different feel out of the exact same shape part right so it's not exactly like you know you're mixing a vat of melted chocolate and then like pulling a lever and making a chocolate buddy it's like not not quite the same thing
1: no no i mean yeah and and it just seems like as the bike industry learns more um it just keeps getting better and better you know i keep telling my i've like I i got my first mountain bike we were talking earlier in like 1983 and i've just been keeping an eye on the industry and i just have such a passion for it and uh it's just amazing. I keep on thinking, like, all right, they can't make them much better than this, and then they do. And it just, it just continues. It's it's great. So well, it's a great time to be alive and a great time to be riding bikes,
0: without a doubt. no question, no question. Um, and it yeah. seems like a lot of the development, as far as uh, carbon fiber composite stuff goes, is actually coming on the matrix side. I feel like recently, um, you know. So. Uh, Jason, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but I feel like you and I are are really not too far off. And I remember when I was getting into the sport and looking at all the stuff that was happening. You know, these days, I mean, the the these plastics that we're talking about for the matrix. I mean, typically it's a it's a two part. I guess more more commonly than not, it's a two part thermal set epoxy. So it's you know, I guess you know a lot of people will probably be familiar with you know JB Weld or like you know the 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 epoxies that come like a little double syringe sort of thing and you know when those things cure i mean it's it's done like it you have that end product that that that's it that i mean if i understand correctly that is a thermal set correct yep. now correct yep um but now i'm i am you know back in the day i mean there was also this thing called thermal plastic where you know basically once it was set you could also heat it up and it would soften or melt and i guess that's why it was called plastic instead of set but you know you had you know schwinn frames and scott handlebars and that sort of thing and those kind of went away after a while for, I mean, I guess it seemed like the technology just wasn't quite there to, to to give the performance that people wanted. But my understanding now is that that sort of thing is coming back. Like there's a lot more attention being paid to it. And it seems like the material development has become a lot better. So why are we seeing more attention now to thermal plastics now instead of thermal sets?
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. And I loved all those bikes, you know, the GT LTSs and the K2 animals and all the stuff. Oh, I really totally cool wanted and one just, and the Cannondale Raven with the blue. I, yep. Yeah. I was all you know, Project all Underground sort of stuff. Yeah. Right. I'm right with you. So yeah, I think we are the same age and lived through that, that, that dream time. And it's just, it seems like it's rekindled as far as mountain bike. Anyway, I, I could go on. So yeah, let's, let's talk thermoplastics. Um, So thermoplastics is just like you said, you know, it's basically long polymer chains that are, you know, kind of uh, combined and uh, simply put, I think of them kind of like ice, like you heat up ice, it turns to water, you freeze ice, it turns solid, except, you know, generally the plastics we're talking about are all solid at, you know, typical room temperatures and you have to heat them fairly high to make them melt, you know, generally 500 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, or more. For the higher performance uh, type thermoplastics, there's certainly lower temperature ones like that. And I think what has happened is there's been a bigger push, especially in aerospace, to look at um, automating um, the production of parts. And also, there's a second part to it, and we can talk in detail about each of these categories. There's automation that it seems a little better geared to. You can do it with thermosets, but I think it's a little better geared, at least it's going to be, as all of this grows in thermoplastics. Second thing is, there seems to be a toughness thing, uh, improvement that you can get out of thermoplastics as well. And the third thing is just the processing of them and the environmental side, as far as you can recycle them, as far as what it takes to make them and transport them and store them, it's it's a bit more environmentally friendly. Um, so what's happened is they're using the same carbon fibers you know, that we've spoken about, but they're changing the matrix to thermoplastic. That said, I don't think it's a complete swap. I don't think it's going to be something where you know you're going to get rid of all thermosets and everything's going to be thermoplastic. But I really do think
0: you're going to see a growth uh, in in the use of thermoplastic composites. Well, why is that though? I mean, so like I said, I mean, back in the day when you know Scott and GT and Swin those guys were all using that stuff, um, you know they 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 did tout those benefits back then, but it didn't quite yep. come to fruition in the real world. So. Um, they are becoming more popular again and for what reasons like you know what sort of performance advantages are people trying to get by switching to thermal plastic instead of using the traditional thermal set epoxy?
1: Okay yeah, I would say the number one thing that that is that is a uh, pretty impressive Well actually there's two I would say right now that are that are pretty forefront for bikes. One of them is toughness. Um, we've done some characterization of our thermoplastic composites against other thermoplastic composites. And when I say toughness it's a little hard to define because some people could define toughness as, you know, you hit a part with a hammer and do you see a crack or not? Some people say, okay, you can see a chip or a crack, but it doesn't propagate very far. And some people say it's got a chip and a crack, but if you hit it again, it, it takes a lot more hits to eventually fall apart versus something that cracks a little easier in one hit. So different industries and different products because we sell into a lot of different industries not just bikes characterize toughness different. But the one test that you know that we were doing is something called fracture toughness which is you put intentionally a crack into a part and you try to kind of peel that crack apart and see how much energy it takes for that crack to propagate. And it's just way higher with some of our thermoplastics than some of the more common thermosets and crack propagation. So, you know, now we're in a world, you know, back in the 90s, they weren't making rims, you know, for mountain bikes out of carbon. Um, and now we are, and they're pretty common. And there's just carbon all over the bike, and it really wasn't there in the 90s. So I do think that there are different applications that make sense for it. You know, like wheels or, you know, frames or handlebars or crank arms, things of that nature. Um, The second thing, I guess, to say why it's different than the 90s is when I look at the old videos as to how some of the parts are being fabricated, the fiber orientation wasn't very well controlled. Um, I don't know if the material, to me, you know, knowing some about how the material was made back then, I don't think it was quite as consistent. And there are companies set up right now that have uh, basically fully mechanized systems that take a reel of thermoplastic carbon fiber, and they cut it and place it in a nice, automated, consistent way. And they can heat it and stamp it, and then they can heat it and stamp it again. And you know they can go through multiple cycles to almost develop it kind of like you're forging metal. And those processes just didn't uh exist back in the 90s there was a lot more hand labor and i feel if you're going to build a bike by hand right now thermosets are really good for that you know like you could build your own bike in your garage it it, you know certainly wouldn't be as good as some of the smaller custom builders and the major builders out there who have had years of experience but it's very drapeable stuff you know that's that's much easier to do with your hands and it's kind of sticky and you can position it easier. Um, thermoplastics at room temperature kind of feel like a manila folder or a thick piece of paper. They don't have any tack. They're kind of boardy. Interesting. So you got to get them really hot to, to, to make them soft and to stick together. And, you know, you're not going to be doing that with your fingers at 500 degrees Fahrenheit, but (laughs) you know, um, an automated machine can and the machine control and the machine equipment and the knowledge about it is much better now than it was back in the back in the 90s
0: okay well i mean we, we've gone through a bunch of uh advantages to using thermoplastic in th- instead of thermosets but what do you lose by using a thermoplastic instead of a thermoset i mean it, it there has to be some reason why you want to choose one or the other right
1: yeah and there's a couple of things i think epoxy sticks very well to paint epoxy sticks very well to epoxy so if you're gluing things together there might be a slight advantage there but i could argue that you can weld thermoplastics you can heat them and weld them together um the surface finish of epoxy is you know very clear and very shiny looking it's terrific and some of the thermoplastics have a bit more of a dull finish and so you know if you're a customer and you're used to seeing something glistening in the showroom you may not get that out of a, of a thermoplastic as much. Um, and I guess, you know, just what I was alluding to earlier is, you know, when, when thermoset bikes are generally laid up or thermoset parts, a lot of it is done by hand. And you can kind of picture like a miniature rigid portion, you know, of a frame. And it's like you're peeling off the back of a sticker, like all the stickers we collect at mountain bike festivals and stuff. And you're putting one sticker on at a time. And once you've got all those stickers, there's 300 stickers positioned on that frame, then you can put it into a mold and you can, you know, you can mold it with thermoplastics. It's, you know, it's a lot like a manila folder and it's not sticky at all. So somehow you've got to have equipment that can position materials in a way that they're going to end up in the right spots to get the complexity of the different fiber placements, um, you know, into your
0: part. So there's a, a, definitely a, a process ramification here. Um, we'll get to that in, in a minute. Um, sure. But I did want to ask you one other thing about Matrix Materials because um, there's a mountain bike company called Revel that um, they've been doing some pretty interesting stuff. Um, they seem to be kind of making a pretty big splash despite the fact that they're a really small, upstart company. But recently, they, did, they, uh, they debuted a set of carbon fiber um, mountain bike wheels that... Uh, that are actually using just nylon as a matrix material instead of a two-part epoxy. So Mm -hmm. what what does that do? Like what, what does that give you? Why would someone want to do that?
1: Nylon is a pretty good material because uh, it's, it's a, it makes a really strong uh, carbon fiber composite and it's lower cost than some of the uh, thermoplastics that are used in aerospace Now these, these are probably not going to be common terms that people know, but there's like materials like PEAK, P-E-E-K, you could Google it, or PPS, you know, these are, these are basically acronyms for other thermoplastics and they're higher temperature and they may even have higher performance than nylon, but they also have a higher price and being a higher temperature, it's really hard to use things that are flexible, like diaphragms and bladders and things like that. And- there's more expansion of steel molds that are used with them. So nylon kind of is like, to me, it feels like it's right at that sweet spot where you can get some pretty good properties out of it. You, can, you have a lot of um, processing options, you know, bladders you can use and rubber parts and whatnot, uh, and it has really good performance. So, you know, I could see that would be why someone would select, a, you know, a nylon for a mountain bike part.
0: I mean, talking about you know, you were talking about toughness and I guess sort of you know impact resistance and energy absorption that sort of thing. Um, yep. Would there be an advantage to using nylon there and, and for a mountain bike composite wheel? I mean, that that part obviously is subject to a lot of abuse, and you don't want it to break. So, would would nylon yield something that would be even tougher than a, a, another thermoplastic material? It's
1: it's certainly in the ballpark of. Thermoplastic materials, but, and and I think most, you know, composite um, companies would agree that generally thermoplastic composites are tougher, are more durable. They're just, they're a little bit more it's not the right word, but a little more rubbery and a little more waxy. Like they're not quite as hard or, you know, brittle as epoxies. Okay. So if they do get impacted, like you might actually see a dent easier in a nylon composite. It kind of depends on how it's, you know, how it's made and how much carbon is in it. But I don't think it's going to propagate as easily with a crack as in our testing as thermoplastics would and nylon is one of them, you know, okay. the crack propagation of nylon. Uh, looked looked pretty good
0: okay um yeah. now looking at thermoset thermoplastic nylon uh, these, just these different matrix materials in general um assuming everything else is the same as far as the the, the fiber content the fiber type and you know the, the density that sort of thing is there any sort of difference in terms of stiffness or strength of the final product or weight given um, versus you know when you're when you're mixing these different matrix materials i mean is, is there any sort of advantage to one or the other
1: that's a tough question <laughs> like the dorky side of me is like oh how do i answer this <laughs> it, generally um it's a it's a fiber dominated like strength is generally fiber dominated so it kind of depends on which how you're talking about strength if you're pulling on the fiber and the composite together the fiber and the matrix together that's a really fiber dominant property so generally the the fiber is kind of what has to let go before the whole composite fails. Got it. If if you have it like a deck of cards and let's say you're kinda you're kinda twisting the deck of cards or putting it in shear and the fibers really aren't involved, then the properties of the resin come into more of, of the play, you know, in in that question. And the hard part and the reason I'm stumbling a little bit is you can put additives in epoxies to make them tougher like and to make them better in that sort of loading let's say but then if you keep putting those additives in you're kind of taking away from the epoxy sticking well to the material and you'll start lowering some of the stiffness and or strength in that epoxy material that's you know that's that very generalizing i epoxy or i apologize to all the you know detailed epoxy you know developers (laughs) out there but but yeah so you know to answer your question simply Generally, no, they're in the ballpark because so many of the properties are fiber dominant anyway. But it does go case by case. You know, which resin exactly are you talking about? Which fiber are you talking about? Which loading condition are you talking about?
0: Okay, fair enough. I feel like a lot of the answers to questions that I'm asking can, can be answered by it's complicated. <laughs>
1: No, uh, yeah, they are, and and I hate <laughs> hate it. I was, was talking, was talking to a friend of mine earlier, and uh, it was just like you gotta, you know, like try not to get, don't go too deep in the rabbit
0: hole. But it's hard, man. It's just like
1: I really enjoy talking about the topic. And <laughs> throw bikes in there, and we could be here all night. So,
0: well, hopefully, we won't be here all night. But I, I have a feeling okay. we, we're still gonna be here for a little while longer because because. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you is not just about the materials themselves that go into a carbon fiber composite, but um, you know, you and I have spoken, you know, a number of times in the past. And uh, one of the things that you always talk about is sort of how, you know, carbon fiber structures as far as the performance of them or you know, they're ultimately dependent on sort of you know, I think you had called it like sort of like the you described it as a triangle or something, like a three three legged stool yes. basically. And so what do you mean by that?
1: okay it's it's tricky when you're working with composites and this i mean this can fit into other materials as well but i think it's even more important for composites like when you're when you have an application and you want to make a part like uh, you know a top tube or a crank arm or something like that you're thinking all right it's got to do this certain job and so first thing i'm going to make a shape and you make a shape and that's kind of one point of the of the triangle and you go great this shape's going to fit everything's going to work you know it's it's aerodynamic. as I need it to be, or whatever the requirements are. And then the second end of the triangle that you have to think of at the same time is the material, because certain materials can't be made in the shape that you're talking about. You know, they 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 just they can't. They're they're just not going to be able to be processed into that shape. And then the third part of the triangle is the manufacturing process that may be available to take that material and make it into that shape. So if you're a, if you're a designer and you don't know what materials are available, but you generally know processing, you could have some hiccups because you're not aware of what the best materials are out there, and if they can be used in the process, and if they can, can be made into your shape. And you know, with composites, it's even a little bit trickier because if you look on the material side of things, there's different fibers there's different resins and then there's different layups and then there are different thicknesses of the plies, you know, and there's even different woven fabrics that you can use. So it, you know, it's a lot to think about all at one time when you're designing a shape, you know, as a composite.
0: Well, I, I feel like right now, you know, with so many people kind of under stay at home orders and whatnot, I mean, I know that, you know, baking is this thing that has suddenly you know, cropped up as this massive at home hobby. And yes, um, and this analogy just popped into my head of, you know, it, it it seems like it's almost sort of like baking, like you have, you know, not just the, the, the list of straight ingredients that are on there, but you also have sort of like different grades and qualities of the ingredients. And then also, you know, you were talking about different temperatures and times, And I guess that would be sort of like the processing of it and all those things right. influence how, you know, your your bread turns out. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and in fact, I think, you know, it, it could even be a little bit more, more complicated because, you know, it with the bread example you're not like shape constrained you know you can only make a you know a top tube a certain dimension to fit into the head tube or the seat tube and you know that sort of thing and it can only join in a certain way
0: oh that sounds like a challenge so. now
1: <laughs> it's it's yeah, so yeah it, it, it's it, it's it's a lot of looking at all of it and you know i think one of the the advantages of you know working with metal is Generally, metals have the same properties. You're working with just 6061 T6, or you know, just you know, three 2.5 Ti, or whatever it is that you know they're using, and it and it kind of narrows down the the processing options a bit, and it narrows down the material selection a bit. But if you have the ability to look at all of those complicated materials and mixes and combinations, and the experience of you know what works, what doesn't work. You can make a higher performing part with a composite, but it does make it more complicated. There, there, there's no doubt.
0: So in terms of the experience and complications that you were talking about, so let's say that you are a frame designer and you say, you know, you kind of have it down as far as your current product, as far as, you know, the fiber types you want to use and the orientations and, you know, the, 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 the ply sizes and shapes and, and the, the tube shapes and all that other stuff. And then let's say you want to add in like a little refinement or an update and you want to change even just like one fiber type or one shape in one part of a frame or something like that. Does that affect everything else at that point? Like, do you have to kind of look back at every other aspect of the design? Like like if you were to change a fiber type here or a different ply layup, some sort of thing in another area of the frame, does that change your processing then?
1: not so much the processing and that's one of the advantages of the composite and doing a small change like that you're talking about it's it's, yeah it's not a drastic process because you know if I'm thinking about you know um road well I shouldn't say like you know hollow bike frames in general most of them are made by putting some sort of a flexible bladder inside of a, a clamshell mold so not all of them but you know certainly most of them so if you add more plies on the inside or you change a ply on the inside, you know, the bladder just doesn't expand as far or expands a little bit farther. And so you can really get into a nice um, cycle where you can be like, I'm going to make one change and I'm gonna test that frame and I'm gonna make another change, I'm gonna test that frame and just kind of see what it does. You know, the the analysis that's done ahead of time, whether it's metal or composites, you know, it's really just trying to narrow down um, uh, alternatives, right? Like you know, you could you could just pick some materials and throw them in a frame, and you know, try it in a in a test rig and hope that it works. Or you can kind of narrow down your risk by doing some sort of computer aided design ahead of time. So you know, I I don't know that uh, that doing changes like you're talking about drastically affect the computer models. I'm sure they do, you know, on really intricate parts. But I think uh, most companies are kind of doing a combination of like empirical testing and, you know, computer aided design and they learn year after year, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what made the bike lighter, what made it ride better. Okay. And you can, you can just see that, you know, as you look through the decades, you can just see it, like the progress and, and it's shared between brands, you know, people reverse engineer things and look and, and it's, it's better for all of us. Like the bike is and the bikes in the processing, by the way, in the last, you know, people sometimes talk about uh, aerospace this and aerospace that and how great it is. And it really, you know, they, it is really great. But if you look at bikes over the last, you know, 20 years, the the novel concept that they've come up with on their own to make these frames better and better and better, it's really impressive.
0: In your opinion, I mean, again, I think we've already established at this point that you and I have have watched a lot of this technology happen right before our eyes over a pretty long period of time. Um, and it, it is pretty astounding how good stuff is now relative to how it used to be. Um, how much better do you think this stuff can get, though? I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on what sort of materials are developed, that sort of thing. But, I mean, really, I mean, how how much better can this stuff be? I, I, like you said, I, I, <laughs> I
1: remember thinking, like, I don't know, 2005, and I was watching all the North Shore guys, you know, send it, you know, and – you know, up in Vancouver and how stout the bikes were and they had whatever, 10 inches of travel. And I was like, man, like, you know, you don't need to do any, you don't need any more than 10 inches of travel and they're done. And, uh, it, it's, it's pretty amazing how it just continues, you know? And, and by the way, this, this isn't really a composite comment, but you know, I think bikes can handle so much more now. So it makes riding safer, you know, just dropper posts and suspension and, you know, more, more consistent frames and stiffer frames and different geometries they can make now by the use of composites and one by drivetrains and stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, When you say better, if you're talking better, as far as like strength and weight goes, I think there's still room to move. And one of the, one of the biggest technologies or one of the biggest areas of focus, I should say is. You know, generally, if you stack up a bunch of telephone poles and you look at the side of the stack, so they're all circles, like you can fit your hand between the telephone poles. There's gaps between the circles, right? Sure. And imagine each of those telephone poles is a filament of carbon fiber and there's resin that's filling those gaps. You can put um, additives in there in those resin rich areas to just make the composite even stronger and even better. So there's been a lot of discussion about graphene and nanotubes and things of that nature to basically fill the resin. So it's almost like you've got a mini composite inside of your composite. And so, you know, that's something that's that's definitely happening. And on the processing side of things, you know, automation, people talk about 3D printing and whatnot, and there are similar processes that have been done in composites for a while, but... I think they were much more complicated expensive equipment back then and it's now getting less expensive and um, the materials are getting more consistent and so you're going to be able to print and to make geometries that you couldn't just machine out of a block or you know a bend in in a sheet metal and weld together you know that sort of thing or even you know hand lay up by hand and and just wait for bladders to push it you know you can make hollow parts that have rib reinforcements in them that you can't see from the outside or the inside. They're in the middle of the wall
0: thickness. Interesting. Yeah, uh, so just, there's, there's great stuff coming. I mean, as far as the 3D printing thing goes, I mean, just by nature of how carbon fiber composites are physically, I mean, it, it's not really something that can be 3D printed, though, is it?
1: Well, that this is another advantage of a thermoplastic composite. Like if you buy your $400 3D printer for at home, it's basically using a cord of thermoplastic and it's melting it and it's just kind of dripping it down on that table as it prints layer by layer. You know, Touré manufactures uh, carbon fiber tape that, you know, you can you could heat it and lay it down layer by layer. And... In aerospace, there are companies um, that are using laser, laser heating systems to lay down those layers of tape, one layer at a time. You know, a very, like like a thickness of a sheet of paper at a time, in a quarter inch or you know maybe a five millimeter wide strip, and just building it up piece by
0: piece. But there's no way to incorporate the fibers when you do that, though, right?
1: I don't know. the fibers are in the tape, like. Yeah. I I think of our fibers as, or I'm sorry, our tape as almost like a mini plate of carbon fiber that's one sheet of paper thick, where all the fibers are running down the length of the roll of tape that we make. And that whole tape is surrounded by nylon or peak or some other thermoplastic. And if you put two pieces on top of each other and you apply heat and pressure and you withdraw the heat, those that, that one sheet of tape is stacked on top of a second sheet of tape is now a single plate that's two sheets of tape thick gotcha and you can keep doing that and building it just like 3d
0: printers work huh and, uh, interesting yeah i guess, um, i i do have one big question i want to ask you at the end of all this but um what about recyclability of all this stuff i mean because it, it is a fair bit amount of I mean, companies seem to be very careful. I mean, the materials are expensive, so they, they seem to be pretty careful about how they are, you know, cutting the plies and, and minimizing waste and that sort of thing. But yep. what do you do with this stuff after, you know, what do you do with this, the, the pieces that are left over or like, you know, and when something is is broken beyond repair or someone just throws it away, whatever, I mean, can, can the stuff be recycled?
1: And when we're talking stuff, do you mean the
0: thermoplastic
1: specifically, or are well, you saying both?
0: I guess both. Or the I mean, thermosets both. as well, both. Yeah, both okay. of
1: those. Thermosets, I'm not that aware of as far as recycling programs. Now, there's probably people that have a lot better background in it than me, but my general understanding is that you've got a combination of epoxy or some other thermoset and fiber, and you have to heat it or burn it you know, off to basically pull the carbon fiber out or maybe you can you know chemically get rid of the epoxy and you're left with carbon fiber and you can recycle it it you know it from and, and cr- apologies if i'm wrong but from the outside that seems like not the ultimate recycling that everybody has in their head but it is certainly better than going and making more you know carbon fiber so there there is definitely an aspect to it okay the thermoplastic so- possibilities are a lot easier because generally when you heat up a thermoplastic composite, it, the plastic that's surrounding the carbon, let's say, it melts. You hold it into a shape and then you draw the heat out of it you know, and it turns solid. And let's say you take some of our tape and you stack it up and you make a plate out of it. You heat it, you melt everything together and out comes a one-eighth inch thick plate that started with you know 20 sheets or 30 sheets, whatever it is, of our tape. You can then take that plate it has continuous carbon fiber running down the length and you can move it under an infrared lamp and you can melt it again and then you can stamp it like cheap metal. So maybe now it's stamped into like a C-channel type thing. And then there are other methods out there that they don't really call composites, but they really are. And it's something like an injection molding resin. These are little pellets of thermoplastic but inside the pellets are chopped carbon or chopped glass fiber. And this is, this is something like a lot of pedal bodies on like a flat you know, mountain bike pedal that's plastic. A lot of times they have chopped fiber inside the pedal body. Well, you can take that sort of material and you could actually join it to the composite part you just stamped. So you have a part that has complexity on it with chopped carbon fiber. And then a backbone of continuous carbon fiber and when you have continuous carbon it's much stronger it's much stiffer and now you've got this part and it goes out into the world you can take that part back and you can chop it up and you can add more virgin you know normal plastic to it and you can pelletize it and basically make it into that same induction molding compound
0: it's like zombie and then carbon you could fiber. you
1: could yeah you, so and it's it's still carbon fiber reinforced. It's still nylon and carbon fiber, you know, 100% or whatever thermoplastic you use. So, you know, I, I look for the day that, you know, at some point, you know, cranks are made out of thermoplastic composites and, you know, they've got the uh, the threaded parts are you know, uh, injection molded right in them with a core of continuous thermoplastic carbon fiber. And maybe you can come back to a company, they can cut off the metal end and yeah, maybe there's a part to scrap or maybe you can get the metal end out and you could grind it up and make it into tire levers to put on, you know, the, a really strong tire lever to, to get that bead to pop over that tubeless wheel that's so hard to do with time. <laughs>
0: right, like,
1: so- you know, like I, I think the potential's really there, but okay. there needs to be a, a stream that's set up and we mm-hmm. just don't have uh, the stream, at least in the bike industry of those carbon fiber parts to do it. I've heard people talking about it, and it and it is definitely feasible with a thermoplastic composite.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I'm not even sure what year this was. Now, maybe like 20. God, what, Like you and I met at this uh, Cyclotech composites uh, composites the cycling yep. industry conference. Yeah, right. Which was uh, what was it like 2015, 2016? I don't yeah, know it was several now. years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I remember you know someone giving a presentation talking about. Uh, you know, sort of the feasibility on a on a bigger scale of of recycling carbon fiber, and and it sounded like it was something that was very much possible in theory, but just you know, like you said, just not really not really widespread in terms of application or facilities and that kind of thing. But I mean, it sounds like there is potential there then.
1: Yeah, they're definitely and, and I just it seems on the surface that the thermoplastic composite is a much easier way to go. And and if we're talking about recycling from just the environmental point of view, the other point of a thermoplastic that's really good is that generally um, it's it's when you're processing it, I think it's I think it's a bit better environmentally. And there's a couple of certain reasons, and that is usually when you're laying up a thermoplastic, a thermoset uh material the reaction is kind of happening and you've got like 20 days you can leave it out at room temperature and then it's really not the same material that it was when it started so we have big freezers when we make thermoset prepreg and we keep the material in big freezers and then if we ship it to someone we ship it in a refrigerated truck and then they put it in their freezer and then when they're ready to use it they pull it out so usually you know there's that and it's got you know, this, this solvent thermoset background to it. Thermoplastics, once you make them, you melt them, you cool them, they turn solid again, you just let them sit on a shelf. And when they (laughs) order them, they sit on a shelf. And when you transport them, they're not refrigerated. Um, They do take higher temperatures in general. So there is more energy in use it. You know, I want to be straight about that. But the idea that, you know, you don't have either an outlife, it's called where after at room temperature, the material has changed. After a certain amount of days, or the shelf life, where after six or twelve months, even in a freezer, you're not confident in using it again. You know, there's a lot of environmental advantages to the thermoplastics as well.
0: Got it. Okay. Um, so this big question that I wanted to ask you. Um, I mean, granted, you you maybe have a vested interest in the answer to this question one way or the other, um, but for for parts on bikes that are kind of more structural in nature and i'm not you know I'm not really talking about like drivetrain parts that kind of thing but you know structural right. items i mean do you foresee a point where basically everything can be made out of a carbon fiber composite oh wow that's a good one uh can it be yes
1: is it the optimum design it kind of goes back to an earlier conversation um well, that's a tough question. You know, like uh, the one thing I always look at is like chains, like it's this big, heavy steel thing, you know what I mean? But, you know, chains are 20 or $30. I just think it'd be really hard to make out of a, sure, out of a yeah, yeah. You know, and I don't know about every, like, you know, and especially now, you know, you're getting into built drive bikes and, you know, there's motors involved, and e-bikes, and that whole thing. I, I, I don't know that it's ever all going to be. Um, but, it definitely can improve things for sure we've certainly seen a lot of you know carbon used on it and one other thing just to add i mean this it wouldn't be a common thing but you can make a metal matrix composite like you can put ceramic fibers and surround them by metal they even have carbon carbon composite where they grow carbon around carbon fiber and they use it for brake rotors so you know, could you make a lighter, stronger chain link, you know, to, to lighten up a chain out of a metal matrix composite? You probably could. But, you know, that's some that's some pretty high end expensive stuff you'd probably
0: you'd be looking at. This this is all bringing yeah. up all sorts of bad memories from from grad school, just seeing there. Like, I don't know if I ever mentioned to you, but my my masters is in material science, so and and this Oh, spec- man, what do
1: you and, want to be the conversation? What are you ask Yeah, me yeah,
0: and 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 I mean, and I specifically worked on uh silicon carbide reinforced aluminum metal matrix composites in in grad school. So
1: like Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So and that was a big thing talk about the 90s. Like that was a big thing, specialized, you know, with the
0: M2, you know, metal oh, yeah, matrix yeah. composites. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, yeah, you know, the idea of just a composite can certainly help things as well. And and in aerospace and other industries, they continue to look at that. You know, it's
0: not just thermoset and thermoplastic matrices. And you know, new fibers are coming out too. Cool. Well, it sounds like there is still an awful lot of development to come, and I guess we'll just have to find out what happens, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it's a great time. I, I just,
1: you know, kudos to everybody who's really evolved bikes over the last 30 years i mean it's 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 arguably the best sport out there i mean I, I i i tell friends all the time that especially if they don't ride it's like the amount of exercise the amount of flow it's fast it's high tech the community you know you can have conversation while you're doing it and if you get into racing like you, you're immediately connected to like a century's worth of history and racing like All of that as a package—it's just a really exciting time, and it's just—I just—I continue to be amazed at just how great the product is, and how the community just tends to, you know, really dive into it. There's, there's just—it's funny—I, you know, I don't see people who are into whatever video games or I don't know fly fishing or something—they just—they don't get down to this level of detail in in their product but man in this cycling bubble like we
0: all do and it's great and it just progresses the whole thing farther forward right like you don't see a whole lot of people who are you know playing call of duty every day and being like oh my god did you check out those lines of code in that thing yeah amazing or you know is there a better capacitor that can come out
1: that can make my you know a button hit faster like you know they just they don't, but man, in this, in this industry, boy, you know, you look at some of the comments online and whatnot, and it's, it's, and I think it's great. I just think that it, it pushes the whole industry
0: forward and it just builds more and more passion. You know, it, it's terrific. Well, cool. Jason, I dare say that, you know, for everyone listening here, you are preaching to the choir. Um, right. Well, <laughs> right. Jason, thanks a ton for this. This was an awesome amount of information, and uh, I, I hope that this was educational to a lot of people. And uh, you know, I'm pretty sure this will not be the last time you and I speak. That would be terrific, man. I, I could talk about this all the time.
1: It would be terrific. Hopefully, at some point, we can do it more in person. Oh, know? let's once hope
0: we, once it's we get through this. Yeah, fingers
1: crossed. Great, yeah, man. Thanks again, all Jason. Right, sounds good. All right, take care. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to all that, and I hope that you found the discussion pretty enlightening. I dare say you might think that carbon fiber, if anything, maybe should sometimes be a little bit more expensive than it actually is. Because as it turns out, it's pretty complicated stuff. If you like what you heard, please give us a review or rating, and make sure to subscribe so you never miss a future episode of Nerd Alert. And with that, I am now going to return to being on vacation. And I'll be back with the rest of the Nerd Alert crew in two weeks with another regular episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.